this morning we're going to begin a new series looking at Paul's letter to Titus. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you're welcome to. Titus is after First and Second Timothy, uh, and just uh, just in front of the book of Hebrews. So if you want to find your place there. About the same time last year, you may remember we looked at Paul's second letter to Timothy. Hopefully, you remember the details of that introduction I gave you about a year ago because Paul writes the letter to to Titus at the very same time. So, hopefully I don't have to repeat too much of that introduction, but just to remind you of some of the, the context of that letter. Paul is writing during his solitary confinement of his second imprisonment in Rome. Now, this second imprisonment is much different than the leniency of his first imprisonment when he was under house arrest. By this time, Paul has become despised in the eyes of the emperor because he just won't quit talking about Jesus. And so the emperor has decided to put this to bed once and for all, and Paul knows that his death is imminent. Paul writes this letter like he did to Timothy as if it were a last will and testament. He is breaking things down to what matters most in the continuation of the gospel. Because Paul is very aware that these words will likely be his last. Now, in comparison to Timothy, we actually know very little about Titus, which in and of itself I think is a pretty telling fact. We know a lot about Timothy because Paul was so often encouraging him. We talked about when we looked at Timothy how he really had a soft heart, that he was easily discouraged. And so all throughout his letters, Paul would encourage Timothy to stand strong in his faith. He would encourage Timothy not to fear because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power, a sound mind. He tells him, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. You may remember as we looked at the letter of Timothy, I said that I could really relate to it because I feel like in many ways I'm a lot like Timothy. Timothy needed a good friend to keep reminded him that God has equipped him for all that he has called him to do. But when we look at Titus, very little is said, and I think it's because very little needed to be said. Where Timothy was more fragile in his disposition, I think uh, Titus was more bold. In fact, I think Titus was very likely the, the stronger leader of these two men. I say that because we know that Paul continues to send Titus in some of the most difficult situations within that time in terms of the church. For example, Titus is the one that Paul sent his letter to Corinth with. And you may remember that letter to the Corinthians was filled with corrections because the Corinthian church was a mess. And Paul knew that Titus was the kind of man to help lead them through that mess. Paul will send this letter that we will begin looking at this morning through Titus to the church in Crete. We know that this is a difficult place too because of what it says in chapter 12. Or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said this about the Cretans. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul says, that testimony is true. For this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in faith. So when I think about Titus, I think of Titus as kind of like the, the special forces of Christian discipleship. 
He's the guy you send in to some of the most difficult places to share the gospel. In his opening words to Titus as he begins this letter, he kind of lays out the mission that he wants Titus to carry on. So begin reading with me in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. I want to pause there because this is actually a very common way in which Paul begins his letters, but there's a lot packed into these few words. Paul says that he is a bondservant of God. That word literally means a willing slave. It's Paul's way of saying, I am not my own. I belong to God. I have been bought with a price. In other words, I don't live according to my own desires. My goal in life is to fulfill the will of God. I am a servant of God. But he goes on to say that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. You remember that Paul encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He was actually on a mission to persecute the church. But when he encountered the risen Christ, Jesus asked him this question. He said, Paul, at that time Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus wanted him to understand these are my people who have been bought with my blood. And whatever you do to the least of them, you do to me. I am the Savior who came to set them free. And it was in that moment that Paul realized that he had it all wrong. (laughs) That he was actually traveling down the wrong road. And so in that moment, he made the decision to surrender his life to Christ as the promised Messiah. He went from persecuting the church to become a church planter. He he planted churches in his missionary journeys in the name of Jesus Christ. He was an ambassador for Christ. He was a minister of the gospel, and at its root, that's what it means to be an apostle, a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter with that commission in mind. Look at how he continues. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is in accordance to godliness. Paul was committed to serving God on behalf of the good of others. He says, I do this for the faith of those chosen by God. That phrase chosen by God is one that Paul commonly uses and as you think about that term or that phrase I want you to consider the timing that he always relates to that phrase for example in Ephesians he says that you've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless He tells the Thessalonians, God chose us from the beginning for salvation. The point there being that we were created for a life-giving relationship with God before the world began. Just think about that a little bit and try to wrap your your head around that fact. It was God's plan from before the world began. But if that's true, then God also knew that sin would ultimately destroy that which he sincerely 
desired. His life-giving relationship would ultimately be destroyed by our sinful choices. And God knew that before the world began. See, like Paul, we would all find ourselves going down the wrong road, following selfish desires. And yet still knowing that, God didn't scrap his plan. He continued with a provision. Before the world began, his plan of salvation was already in place. Knowing what we would do, God pre-planned his response of redemption. And that plan was centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He would ultimately restore what sin destroyed. And so as you can see, even within this first verse, the the very beginning, the, the greeting, the opening lines of his letter to Titus, he's already establishing a doctrine of truth that we will see woven throughout this letter to Titus. It is a doctrine which I call the doctrine of God's initiative, where as an act of God's mercy, God moves first. The doctrine of God's initiative. It's important because if God moves first, then that tells you and I that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's salvation. We are saved by grace through faith and not as a result of works. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead people don't move. God moved first. When he planned redemption before the world began, God moved first. When he sent his son to die on a cross to fulfill that plan and the promise of eternal life, God moved first. When he opened our eyes to see that truth and to hear that invitation into the life-giving relationship that we were ultimately created for before the world began. God moved first. Which makes our salvation ultimately a response to God's initiative. And so Paul's experience on the road to Damascus was not just unique to him. Jesus confronted each of us with the truth of who he is and what he accomplished. We, like Paul, were heading down the wrong road. It was a road of sin and selfish desire that ultimately led to death. Jesus stepped in. He stepped in and presented the truth of who he is and invited us into the relationship that we were ultimately created for since before the world began. Now, when you think about that and you imagine this picture of a road, I I don't want you to think of it just as a a single path and a fork in the road. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we don't make one single decision to know and follow Christ and then live in faithful obedience from that point on. We know that this road that we're on is filled with all kinds of distractions and detours that, that our enemy wants to get us sidetracked. He wants us to, to take our eyes off of the person and work of Christ. And so that's ultimately why Paul writes this letter, is to plant some road signs to help us assure the fact that we are, in fact, on the right road, the road that leads to salvation. 
we may think that life is going great, but sometimes, even when it is, we could be headed down the wrong path. So that's why Paul writes this letter, to stay on the right path, a, a faith that leads ultimately to godliness. So when Paul is writing this letter to Titus, which is true, anytime we open the scripture, I want to remind you again that it is a letter written to us. That the things that were important for Titus to communicate to the church in Crete is just as important for the church at Melanie Park and in our lives today. We can only grow in our faith when God's truth revealed in God's word is applied to our everyday lives. Good works flow out of a life of faithful obedience. And Paul is writing this letter ultimately to help God's people grow. That was his goal. In, in fact, you could even say that was his goal in life, was to help God's people grow. He says, it's the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Godliness is just another word that's used to describe spiritual growth. It's a faith that it informs our everyday decisions. It is an evidence of a transformed life. Godliness is the outward picture of a life that has been transformed inwardly. Now look at how he continues. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Paul wants us to know that the, the motivation for a life of godliness is the hope of eternal life. The path that we walk is a road that leads to salvation. It is the promise of eternal life. And along the way, we are called to, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, he endured the cross. And we are to, to look at that life of faithful obedience and fix our eyes on him. All along the way, we want to invite people to come along with us as we take this journey towards eternal life. We want to grow in our knowledge of God. We want to strengthen our faith. We want to know and follow Christ and encourage others to come along with us. Because, remember, eternal life was God's plan from the very beginning. It was revealed in Christ and it has been promised to all who believe. We faithfully follow Christ because of the hope of eternal life. As we said this morning in communion, we are going somewhere. This world is not our home. There is a promise that we have a hope in. And that hope is not like a hope like, I hope it rains tomorrow. Because we all know that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> this hope is a, a certainty. It's an assurance. And why can we say that? Because we look at the faithfulness of God and we can see his faithfulness in the past. How he planned from before the world began a redemptive salvation through the person and work of Christ that has been historically been fulfilled. We know that's true. He has been faithful in the past. We know it's true because he's faithful in the present. 
Scripture tells us that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, and even in this moment is working out that promise. That's part of the reason you're here. He's been faithful in the past. He is faithful in the present, which gives us great certainty about his promise in the future. Not because of our performance, but because of his faithfulness, because of his promise of eternal life. I believe the understanding of what Paul is trying to communicate that is then reflected all throughout this letter is to appreciate the magnitude of the faithfulness of God. When I read through this passage personally and was just trying to get my head around it and understand what was being said in these few verses, one of the things that struck, struck me was the fact that, that Paul seems to be in these introductory words outlining all that that God has accomplished through his own initiative so that all that Paul is doing is a response to what God has already done. For example, he says that he was uh, a servant of God. And and we know, as he tells the Corinthians, that, that that's the case because he's been bought with a price, that he belongs to God. He's an apostle of Christ because he's been called to serve. He's been commissioned. When he encountered the living Christ on that word, God gave him a mission. And Paul's life was to fulfill that mission. We know that he tells us that all Christians are chosen by God before the world began. That we were set apart for godliness. That we were intended to to grow in our faith. And that our inheritance, that promise of eternal life is secure. Not because of our performance, but because of God's promise. And God does not lie. That we want to be able to proclaim that promise, that just as this has been entrusted to Paul, it has been entrusted to us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, in the opening few verses of Paul's letter to Titus, he's laid out a path. He's laid out a path that he wants Titus to walk down and invite those in the Christian church to continue to follow him in that example is the path that ultimately leads to eternal life. I think we all need little road signs along the way just to make sure that we're on the right path. And I want you to understand that these words that Paul writes in these first few verses about what God has done in his life is the same for you and I. That we've been bought with price. We belong to God. And our life goal is to serve His will is more important than our own. We have been chosen. We have been set apart for godliness. We are intended to grow and we are on the move because this world is not our home. We're going somewhere. And we want to be on a path that ultimately leads to eternal life. We are called to proclaim the excellencies who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Look at how Paul finishes in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace are, are gifts of God along this path that leads to eternal life. We have been rescued from the greatest evil and been bestowed with God's greatest good. This world is filled with distractions. We all need to be reminded that we're on the right path, and that's ultimately why Paul 
writes this letter. Obedience is not something that we just go and do for God. Instead, it's the work of what God has done for us. The scripture tells us, we looked at that passage last week, that God has prepared good works ahead of time. (laughs) He's laid out a path so that as we follow him, we walk within the good works that he's prepared. God understands that, that faithfulness is not an easy path, that is an intentional path, that is a, a disciplined path. It is a path that we have to be certain of as we continue to walk in that direction. Remember, Jesus with, honors with his disciples. He says, look, in this world, here's a promise. You're going to have trouble. It won't be easy. Because this is not your home. And and Paul picks up that same idea when he writes to Timothy. And he tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, here's the reality. Anyone who desires to pursue godliness, which Titus just said, that's one of the, the road signs that says we're on the right path. He says, if that's what your desire is, then you will be persecuted. And so God gives us grace and peace to help carry us through those difficult times. We're not left to ourselves. God is with us. God is for us. And God is ultimately leading us. So as we begin this study looking at Paul's letter to Titus, I think maybe one of the first questions we need to ask ourselves in light of what he's just said is this. Are we on the right path? Are we on the right path? Are we working against God's will, much like Paul was on that road to Damascus? Going our own way, following our selfish desires. Or are we on a path that is marked by faithfulness, where we're following God's lead? And and I think perhaps one of the best ways to answer what really is a difficult question, you know, are you on the right path? Well, I don't know. Am I on the right path? Well, here's one of the clues. Is it a path that is filled with grace and peace? Because that's the evidence of God's presence. Are you on a path that is filled with grace and peace? Let me give you an example. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar passage, but listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is of any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on those things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. The peace of God is ultimately what guards our hearts, but it's only possible. When we set our minds on things that are good and right and true, those words are like road signs. (laughs) They are the things that we need to set our minds on that ensures us that we're on the right path. Things that are true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and good. But he goes on to say these things, the ones just listed, those road signs, are what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen. 
And so what he's telling these Philippians and telling us is, look, God has put road signs out. And, and these things are the things that you've been taught. It's what you've heard this morning. It's what you heard last week. It's what you'll hear this week as you open God's word. And he says, set your mind on those things. Things that are true and right and good. Let your mind dwell on what you've learned. What you've received, what you've seen. Where real truth is applied to real life. Where God's wisdom is put into practice through your decisions. This is not like reading a recipe and just trying to imagine what that might taste like. This is actually putting ingredients together. It's actually cooking and consuming a meal. It's actually being nourished by the truth that God has provided us so that we might walk in faithful obedience. So let me go back to where we started. This morning we took communion. But I want you to understand that communion is not a meal that we celebrate only once a month. Communion is a daily experience. It is practicing the presence of God in your daily life. It's setting your mind on what is true, on what is right, and what is good. It's consuming those things. It's applying them into your daily life. It's using that wisdom for your decisions. It's what nourishes your soul. It's what guides your path. Because here's something that's important for us to understand. We are not on a path that leads to God. We are on a path that is being led by God. He is with us. He is for us. And He is leading us. Grace and peace are what we experience when we walk with Him. So, let me ask you again. Are you on the right path? Does that describe where your heart is? In this moment. And let me assure you that no matter what your answer might be to that. That God has provided a way to direct us towards something better. So if you feel like you are headed in the right direction. Then keep walking by keep searching and trusting and following him. And if for some reason you feel like no that doesn't describe where I'm at. Then I want you to know that just as the Lord interrupted Paul's path when he was on the road to Damascus, I don't know about you, but he routinely interrupts mine. He routinely confronts me with things that are true. And he routinely invites me to step away from where I'm going and turn and follow him. This is not a fork in the road. It is a walk of repentance. It is a walk of obedience. It is a decision to consistently nourish our souls with the truth of God that he has prepared before us so that we could walk in it. So the things that you've learned, the things that you've received, the things you've heard, the things that you've seen being put on display, those are the things that tell you you're on the right path. So one of the things that you might consider doing this week is take some time to think about communion. I think sometimes when we get in routines, we think, oh, it's the first Sunday of the month. That means we're going to have communion. That'll be great. And then we don't think about it again until the next first Sunday of the month. Let me encourage you this week to think about it all week. To think about how God instituted this meal and designed the very details to portray a picture. A picture of his 
redemptive work in the lives of people who were enslaved by something they could not break free from. And then I want you to imagine you being one of those slaves, because that was true of us, enslaved by the power of sin, and we could not break free. It was only possible because of a miraculous, redemptive work of God. And I want you to just try to spend some time this week wrapping your head around the idea that God planned that redemption before the world began. Before mankind ever came into being, he knew the decisions that we would make. And instead of scrapping the plan, he carried on pre-planning the salvation that would be made available to us. I just want to get your head around the faithfulness of God in the work of redemption and the life that he's called us to as his people. So don't wait till next first Sunday of the month to think about communion. I want you to consider it all through this week. And just see how much you can pull out of that reality. Let's pray together. Father, I know that one of the reasons you established communion is because you wanted us to taste and see that the Lord is good. But that's not just once a month. That is every day. You want us to taste and see that you are good. You want us to set our minds on truth, road signs that help make sure that we are headed in the right direction, the assurance of your presence with us, not because we're not being led to you, we're led by you. You are with us, you are for us. You want to equip us to grow in our knowledge of you so that we can strengthen our faith, to stand firm in the difficulties that you promised we would encounter. Because we are a people on the move. This world is not our home. We have been given a mission and a message to proclaim. So Lord, help us to be faithful to you it may be one of the ways that we can be reminded of that and be encouraged towards that this week is as we consider your faithfulness to us, that we are responding to your initiative. We are walking in the good works that you prepared beforehand. So, Father, help us to see your mercy in the fact that you move first. In seeing your lead, may we follow your lead. Pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.